All right. Now, this is the, our, our third annual automotive conference, learning how to build uh, automobiles. <laughs> Thinking, oh, no, I came to the wrong place. <laughs> now, we are so glad that you guys are here with us for our, our healing school with Chris Gore. How many of you guys came for the healing school with Chris Gore? Okay, good. You're in the right place. I think the auto conference is down the road somewhere. Oh, you came for the, both of them? All right. Well, we are so excited. Yesterday, we had... Um, a time with, with Chris and his team and, and, and some of our leaders and had a time of questions and answers and, and things like that. And the more we sat there and I was listening to him, the more anxious, and I know we're not supposed to be anxious, be anxious for nothing. I know, but still, I became so excitingly anxious for today, for this, just hearing, oh my goodness, I can't wait. And I'm excited about, you know, Friday night, tonight, and tomorrow night, we're going to have uh, healing services open to the community and everyone, have worship and all those kinds of things. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about people getting healed and, and people being blessed and everything. But I have to be honest, I am more excited about this because what I get excited about, and I know what Chris is very excited about, is seeing you do the stuff, do the things that Jesus paid for. Do the things that he said, those who believe in me, the miracles that I do, shall they do also and greater. So we get to do the same stuff and the greater stuff. Amen. And so uh, let's just stand up together. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Chris to come on up. How many of you guys are here from out of state, out of, oh, outside the state of Oklahoma? Not you, Chris. <laughs> All right. Where are you guys from? Texarkana, Arkansas. Who else? Who's from out of Oklahoma? Where are you guys from? Northwest Arkansas. Northwest Arkansas. All right. Anybody else from outside the state of Oklahoma? Did I see another hand up? All right. I'm looking forward to getting to know you guys. And who's out from outside of Stillwater? And where are you? Oh, never mind. Where are you, where are you from? Kingfisher. Kingfisher. All, right. All right. Where are you from? Oklahoma City. I've heard of that place before. What about you? Seminole, all right. And what about you guys? More Oklahoma? Oklahoma City, more area. I've heard of that place too. Where are you from? Never mind. <laughs> Bartlesville, all right, guys. All right. Well, welcome to all of you guys. <clears throat> so let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus. We're so grateful for the gospel. And Lord, we just give you our heart and our attention right now. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and just wreck any of our theology and our stuff that we're holding on to that is not of you. We give you permission to deal with it. And we want you to deal with it. And our hearts are open and we say yes to you, Jesus. Because we want to do what you want us to do. And we want to do all that you paid for. We love you so much. And Lord, we just speak your blessing on your servant as he comes and shares. We thank you for grace upon him, your blessing. And we thank you for the word of the Lord coming through him in these next few days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You may be seated. Oh, and by the way, my name is CJ Ellis. I'm the pastor here. Sorry, I forgot that. Welcome to you guys here. Hey. Good afternoon. Well, it is great to be here in Oklahoma. It's my second time in two weeks. I was just in Oklahoma City just uh, just two weeks ago, I think it was. And uh, so it's wonderful to be back here in the middle of America. 
Yeah. Um, you're going to need to excuse my voice. I woke up this morning and uh, my voice is gone. And that's the first thing I did is I sat up and I prayed out loud to see if I could hear myself. And there's, there's nothing coming out. Is but it's, it's slowly coming back. So today is a good day for a miracle. <laughs> Amen. All right, we're going to jump right in. We've got two sessions that I want to do this afternoon. We may end up, we may end up breaking the session up and trying to fit more in. I've got so much stuff on my heart that I feel I want to say, and um, but I'm just not going to be able to get to everything. So I'm kind of trying to be strategic about where I want to aim at and what I want to, you know, where I want to pitch this at. You know, my greatest heart is to see. I just want to see people healed. That's the bottom line. I just want to see people healed, and uh, but you know, but secondary to that is I want to see, the, uh, I want to see people healed through the body. I want to see the body healing people, and I really do believe that it's no longer about the the man of the man of power, you know, for the hour. It's no longer about the man of God. It's about the God of man, and you know, this is a great day we live in because we all get to participate and play. Every single one of us gets to. To join in, and every single one of us, I, I firmly believe that the power of God is able to flow through every single person, every single person that knows Jesus, because the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead took up possession in us, and He's trapped in the lives of unbelieving believers. And you know, Paul says it's the transform. You know, we're renewed by the um, by the renewing of our mind, and and I and I really believe that the lack of power that the church often demonstrates is just simply because the lack of the renewing of our mind. We've been raised in we've been raised in religion. You know, we, we may know the word of God, but we're still in religion and when we're seen and I just happen to read the word of God another way. I actually believe that it says what we can do. And I, I don't want to be a person that just does Bible study because Bible study without Bible experience is pointless. You know, a Bible study with an out and encounter at the end just leads to more religion. I want to read something, understand it, and then do what it says I can actually do. And uh, so I've been on this, I've been on this journey um, for uh, into the healing ministry now for about twenty-one years. I'm, I'm from New Zealand. If you're trying to work out my accent through the tigery voice I've got right now, <laughs> I'm from New Zealand. I've lived in California for. Uh, just on 10 years now, I'm married, I've got uh, three daughters, and I've got one wife. <laughs> one, one is enough. <laughs> and uh, just, uh, just last, uh, just a couple months ago, I celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, so, yeah. I know I don't look old enough, but I sound old enough with this voice. <laughs> You know what? What I really want to go after in this in this first session is I want to lay. How many of you know that I could teach you the principles of healing, but we not know the prince? And I'm not really so much interested in the principles of healing. I, I live with this firm conviction that we'd actually never need to discuss the theology of healing if we just had a revelation of the heart of the Father. And unfortunately, I still need to preach the theology of healing, and that's going to come out over this weekend, and it's in the workbook that you got and the book that you can get and stuff like that. So 
It's not that we're not going to discuss the theology of healing, but if we actually had a revelation, just a greater revelation of God's heart for his people, we'd actually never need to discuss the theology of healing because the fruitfulness of healing would just become a byproduct of knowing what God's heart is for his people. Amen? You guys with me? Don't be like the other church in Oklahoma where I couldn't get anything out of them, right? So I'm a feedback person. If like, I feel like you guys are not responding. I'll just go to my room and preach to myself. <laughs> Paul says in Acts 26, he says, King Agrippa, he says, I think myself happy. So I'll just go to my room and think myself happy. You know, <laughs> preach myself happy over there. And so I've got this, uh, I've just got this uh, thing that just burns in my heart to see the church come into the identity of who Jesus says that they are. And that's the one thing that really burns on me. And I've got a book, which I'll talk about at the end. But that's the one thing that just really, really, really burns on me is like, what, what more would we actually see if we understood our identity? See, what is our identity? Our identity is not just who Christ is in us, but who we are in Christ. And that's, that's what I burn for. And that's the one revelation that I'm continuously pushing in for every day. Like, God, I've got to, I've got to have a greater understanding of my identity and who I am. So I've been on this journey and I don't, I don't profess to, tell you that I've arrived, you know, I don't know that we ever arrive, we're always growing and there's always something to learn and, and every day it's like an onion, you know, like an, another layer comes off and I, I learn something more about what it is to be in Christ and what it is for, for Christ to be in me. But the more that I begin to understand my identity, the more fruit that I see uh, flow through me and we're just living in an extraordinary day of just seeing some wonderful, wonderful, extraordinary extraordinary breakthroughs and miracles and it's just we'll talk about that further as we as we go on and tonight we'll be more focused at healing and we'll be going after healing and you guys will be the ministry team and we're just gonna we're gonna have a great glorious night tonight i just came from japan um i flew from japan to oklahoma and then flew home and then flew back for this and uh, i was just in japan with 300 evangelical pastors and uh, I, love, I love being with the evangelicals because they're just one encounter away from good theology. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're an evangelical. I didn't mean that as a... <laughs> but they put me in a room with 300 evangelicals and the pastor said to me, these are 300 spirit-filled, non-believing evangelicals. They don't believe in miracles. See if you can do something with them. And uh, so we had three sessions with them. And on the fourth session, we went after breakthrough. 300 pastors in the room. We had 328 miracles in one session. See what happens with the transformation of the mind. He's actually better than we think. But we're the ones that have to change the way that we think. He doesn't change the way that he thinks. It says in Psalm 34, it says, come magnify the Lord with me. One of my favorite passages, one of my favorites, it is my favorite Psalm, come magnify the Lord with me. It's a fascinating passage because what it's actually telling us there is the way that you magnify something is like you put a magnifying glass on an ant and you make it into a tarantula. And that's what the Bible's telling us to do is to magnify God, to make him bigger than he is. But it's an impossibility because we can't make him any bigger than he already is. 
See, God's not the one that needs to change the way he thinks. We're the ones that have to change the way we think. That we are the ones that have to change our perspective of God's heart for humanity and you know, God's heart for his people. And, 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 and what's, what's happened is that over the years in regards to, in regards to healing, because the church has been, uh, because we haven't seen miracles historically, is that <clears throat> we've changed the view of God or we've changed our theology to justify our lack of power. And all is, we've actually done is we've pulled the word of God down to our experience. And it's time that we put the simplicity of the gospel back in the gospel and we lift the word of God. Sorry, we lift our experience to the word of God. And all as I see is, and I probably, um, either tonight or tomorrow night, I'm going to speak a message on uh, about removing the doubts because so many believers, their theology is built on doubts rather than on Christ as our role model. Jesus Christ is our role model. And we'll talk, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that more. But the one thing that, as I was saying, was, is that I burn for is, is, uh, is really understanding our identity. If we could just get that, because I find that most believers' identity, they really don't have any idea who they are. I, um, I minister, and the last two years I've ministered in, um, <clears throat> I got three daughters, 17, 19, and 21, and I got 65 sons. And they're all in jail, every one of them. And they're all serving long sentences. The longest is 505 years. And the, and the shortest is, you know, like 20 years. And most of them are somewhere in between of like five life sentences and 100 years on top kind of thing. And they're in, all in Huntsville Prison, Texas. And I, and I go to Huntsville Prison every year, um, every year for the last two years. And I'm trying to get there this year just to... And, I got to tell you, it's probably one of the hungriest churches I think I've ever been into in the world. It would be in the top three hungriest churches. And the first time I went there, there was, there was 90, 90 men in there, and they, they put me in this room, and I had to sign a waiver that said, in the event of a hostage situation, we will not negotiate for you. I mean, these guys are not in there because they stole someone's lunch money. You know, <laughs> they're in there for, you know, for obviously for very serious crimes. And uh, so they put me in this room, and I, I sign this waiver, and I get put in a room with one unarmed guard, but really safe. <laughs> it's just me and my intern, my intern and I, I should say. And we, we walk into the room, and these men saw us, and they, they stood and formed a fire tunnel for us to walk through as they prayed for us as, as we walked through. I, I, I don't know that I've ever said it was so stinking hot in there. It was, there was no air conditioning. This is Texas in summer. And, the, and, the, and we just began to teach these men. And I, I've never met men that really began to understand their identity. Yes, they've done something wrong. But in God's eyes, they're forgiven. Yes, they're paying a price for what they've done in the law's eyes. And they will continue to pay that price. But I want to share, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to share a bit of a story out of that. Because one, there's a... There's a gentleman in there that had a tattoo on his eye, a little blood drop. And I, I made the, I made these men all have interesting names. The last one that just got saved, his name's Body Bag. You don't ask him why he got the, how he got that name. <laughs> and, uh, but this, this man had a little blood drop tattoo under his eye. And I, 
I, I made the mistake of asking him, like, why, why, is, why have some people got a blood drop on their eye and some haven't? And he said, the blood drop is, the blood drop is gang initiation. And he said, and to get the blood drop, you have to kill the blood. You have to kill the skin of another color. So, you know, brown's got to kill a white or, a white, you know, whatever. And that's how you get the, the blood drop on the eye. And he stood up and he, he asked this question that was just, it was kind of really profound to me. And he said, I want to know what the difference is between, between being undeserving and being unworthy. He said, you've been talking about that this morning, but I'm still not sure that I've got the difference of, being, of understanding the two, un, undeserving and, un, and unworthy. He said, because I feel, I feel really unworthy to be used by God. And this guy was probably, he was probably 40 and he'd been in prison for all of his adult life. And he's got another, you know, 100 years to serve or whatever. Real sweet, sweet Hispanic man. And I, and I looked at him and I said, you don't feel that you're worthy to be used because you're tying your performance into your worth. See, when we tie our performance into our, into our worth, the enemy's already got us. And see, every, every single one of us is worthy. We're worthy because we've been blood bought by the blood of Jesus. And I say to people that if you say that you think that you're not worthy, you need healing. You really do. We are worthy because it's not by our performance. We are blood bought by the blood of Jesus that makes us worthy to be used. And there's this mentality in the church. And I, I'm so thankful that it's changing that I call it worm theology. You know, I'm just so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. And it's like, no, you need to get a revelation of who you are and what Christ paid for. Because it's not about our, it's not about we we are worthy because of the blood of Jesus. And I, I went through the Bible and I found I found all these men and great men and women of God that had every reason to believe that they're unworthy. And they had every reason to believe that they couldn't be used by God, but every single one of them was mightily used by God. See, Noah was a drunk. And Abraham was too old and Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar and Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused and Moses had a stuttering problem and Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer and Rahab was a prostitute and Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer and Elijah was suicidal and Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow and Job went bankrupt and Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying and Martha worried about everything and the Samaritan woman is divorced more than once and Zacchaeus is too small and Lazarus was dead. So I don't think that we've got any excuse to not believe that we're actually worthy because of the blood of Jesus. And it's, this, it's the mentality of us believing that we're not worthy is actually shutting fruit down in our lives and not actually getting Jesus what he paid for. See, I really believe that it all comes back down to our identity of us understanding who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. But yet I see another segment of the body that's walking around and they're saying, well, we deserve it. It's deserved. You know, I I deserve this. And it's like, well, if you think that you deserve the kingdom, I think you need healing. Because it's, we are worthy, but it, but it's undeserved. Uh, the grace is the undeserved favor and merit of God. 
I don't deserve it, but that's what makes grace, grace. And when I align myself to the mentality of that I am worthy because I'm, I'm blood-bought, but I'm undeserving, it makes us a candidate for his grace to flow through me. It's not my works, it's by his works. It's not by my performance, it's by his performance. And when I, and I see, I long to see the church come out of this performance mentality. We're in this performance mentality. Well, if I can just see this breakthrough, if I can just see this, then I know it's God's validation for, for ministry in my life. And I, I went through that, you know, when early in, in the early days of really wanting to walk in power. I was so performance orientated. I was so works orientated. Everything I did was like, if I could just see this breakthrough, breakthrough, then I believe it would be like, it's God's validation on my life. If I just saw a miracle, then I believe that I'd, I'm actually, you know, I actually believe then maybe I've got the hill of living inside me. And all as we end up doing is we end up working for love. I don't work for love. I got another word for that. It's called prostitute. I don't work for love. I work from love because he cannot love us any more than he already does. I got this God that's passionately and wildly in love with us. He cannot love you any more than he already does. See, I'm not working, I'm not working for righteousness. I, I work from righteousness. I cannot be any more righteous than the day that we were actually saved. But yet the majority of the body is working for righteousness because they don't know who we are. If I can just do this, if I can just do that, if I can just do the right things and jump through the right hoops. And I've, I've been there. A number of years ago, I grew up in the Assemblies of God. Anybody here Assemblies? I grew up in the Assemblies of God and I'm so thankful for my roots in the Assemblies and and uh, my, my senior pastor was also the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God in New Zealand, a very, very well-known man. He's been in ministry for many years. He's, he's out now. And uh, so I grew up under him. I've been, I just saw him just a couple of weeks ago. I had um, coffee with him one night. And um, so I've been with him for about 30, 30 years. And, um, and <clears throat> so I grew up in the Assemblies of God. I completely lost my train of thought what I was going to say now. Um, Completely lost my train of thought. It's gone. <laughs> Can't have been any good. <laughs> what was I saying? I got sidetracked by... Coffee. Ah, oh, let's talk about coffee. <laughs> I'm a coffee snob. <laughs> I like good coffee. Just saying... It's hard to find. So I, I grew up in the assemblies of God, and in my journey of wanting to walk in power, um, I was I was pastoring. I was the associate pastor of probably at that point the third largest church in New Zealand, and uh, and I wanted to see the sick people healed. And I began to pray for sick people, and I prayed for I prayed for so many sick people that there's one thing that I am is I'm I'm real, I'm a very very tenacious person like. I just don't give up on anything. I just know how to go and go and go, and it's sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> you know, I just I, I push hard. You know, and sometimes I push too hard, and I get a stuffed up nose. <laughs> I, you know, I really do push hard, and uh, and in that journey of, uh, and in that journey of just ministering to the sick, 
I was trying so hard to see fruit happen. But Jesus says in John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I'd like to propose to you, why are we trying to become something that Jesus already says that we are? We're trying so hard to become a branch. But the Bible says that you already are. See, if we would stop doing and start being, we'd actually begin to produce fruit because most of our energy is consumed in trying to become something that Jesus says that we already are. See, the Christianity is not about trying hard. I didn't say it's not about working hard. I said it's not about trying hard. I work hard, but I don't try hard. And my senior pastor always used to say to me, I'd preach and he'd take me aside and he'd go, that was a good try hard message. I never really, I never really understood what he says, what, what he meant. And I, I went through... I went through years of frustration of ministering to the sick and not seeing anybody healed at all. I estimate that I prayed for an excess of a thousand people before I saw my first miracle. Now, please don't think you've got to go through a thousand. To, to, that's just called the spirit of stupid. <laughs> I was just a slow learner. <laughs> I wish I had learned the lessons I learned now. Way back then, I would have taken a shortcut and saved me a lot of frustration. So, see, I thought it was all about how hard I worked. I, I thought it was, I didn't realize it was about my identity. I thought it was about me validating myself and my works for God that now I've got to prove myself, you know, that I've, that I've, I've paid the time, I've paid the price. I've got good news for you. He's the one that paid the price. So I'm, I'm ministering to the sick and I go on this fast one day and, I went to my senior pastor and I'm like, his name is Pastor Wayne Hughes. I said, Pastor Wayne, I said, um, I'm going on a fast. He goes, you are? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, what for? And I'm like, for breakthrough. He goes, okay. He said, how long is this fast? And I said, for the rest of my life. I said, I'm not going to eat again until I see breakthrough. I said, I'm only going to drink. And I'm really hoping he's going to talk me out of it. Like a good senior pastor would, right? And he goes, all right, well, <clears throat> just be careful. <laughs> now, now I know I'm really in trouble because I asked him to keep me accountable. And I'm like, I, I'm not a great faster. Like, I, I just love food. I mean, I just love my food and I love coffee, you know. And uh, so the first day, I mean, anyone, anyone fasted for one day? <laughs> Three of you? <laughs> It's pretty easy, right? I mean, sometimes I just get so busy in my day, I forget to eat, and I'm like, okay, that's a fast day. <laughs> we'll just chalk that up as a fast day because I forgot to eat, you know? <laughs> and then and then, and then, anyone fasting for two days? It's like two days is actually pretty easy as well, but anyone done three days? Like third day, it's like, it's miserable. I mean, it's really, really hard, you know? The third, fourth, fifth day is just like, you think you're going to die, but once you get to the sixth day, like, you're cruising. You can go to 40 days, there's no problem at all. You know, sometimes it feels like you just keep going. And it's, just, it's really not an issue. And um, so I get to the third day, and because I like my food so much, you know, and my body needs food, I mean, I, I'm getting all jittery. I'm, I'm, you know, some people slow down when they're tired. I speed up. You know, I'm, like, I'm getting all jittery, and I'm just, you know, like, it's like I've got to do something, and... And I come home from work and I'm, I'm feeling sick and I'm feeling jittery and I, 
I, I had a two-story home and I go up the stairs to my home and I <clears throat> fall on the couch and my wife's in the other room and I'm in the other side of the house and I yell out to her, her name's Liz. She's, she's a really compassionate woman. Like She's a registered nurse. She's so compassionate to everyone but me. <laughs> Don't you tell her that. <laughs> and I yell out to her. I'm like, Liz, you've got to come. Come on now. And she comes running through and she goes, what's the matter? And I'm like, you know how I'm doing this lifetime fast? And she goes, yeah. And I said, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> and she looks at me with those compassionate nurse eyes and she goes, really? And I'm like, yeah, I think this is the end. <laughs> and she says, well, you've got a choice to make. And I'm like, what's that choice? And she said, the choice is this. She said, you break the fast and go and eat, or you die. And if you choose die, she says, do it quietly, and she walks out. <laughs> Jack Hayford gave me some wonderful advice one day. He said, you listen to your wife. That was his, his number one advice to me. You listen to your wife. So, so I'm laying there on the couch, and I'm like, Oh, I want to see my kids grow up and I want to see my kids get married. And it's like, this isn't the day to die, you know? So I, I, I go to the fridge on my hands and knees and I go into the um, refrigerator and I find a packet of eight sausages, a loaf of bread and a bottle of tomato ketchup. And I, I threw the cellophane packet in the microwave from the floor, zapped it, and I sat on the floor and I ate the whole loaf of bread. I ate all eight sausages and half a bottle of ketchup. Now, if you've, if you've fasted for like, you know, any kind of length of time and then you eat like that, you don't think you're going to die anymore. You know you're going to die. <laughs> and I go, I go back to the couch and I yell out again. I'm like, let's go. And she, come, she goes, what's the matter now? And I'm like, well, you know, this lifetime fast I'm on. And she goes, yes. And you gave me two options. Yes. And I'm like, well, I took option one and I broke it and I ate. So I don't think I'm going to die anymore. And she goes, good. And I'm like, I know I'm going to die. And she goes, do it quietly and walks off. <laughs> See, I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated because I thought it was my works that got the breakthrough. And when we're in that mentality of working for breakthrough, no matter what you do, it's never enough. There's always something else that you're going to need to do. So I, I have fasting. I, and then I feel like a complete failure because I'm on a lifetime fast. So now I'm dealing with guilt and condemnation because I only managed to get through three days. So I, I figured that I'll wait for a couple of weeks. I'll feast myself up. Put on some, put on some weight, and then I'm going to try again. It's called the spirit is stupid. <laughs> I'm told you I'm a slow learner sometimes. So, so the, about three weeks later, I decided I'm going to fast again, and that's going to be I'm going to fast every other day, and I'm going to see how long I can go. And I achieved it. I fasted every other day for 18 months, but I found a great way to cheat. It's called the I should write a book about it. Cheating Guide to Fasting. <laughs> and this is, this is what I did. So the first day of my fast was my eat day. Right? So I would, I would um, get up in the morning, cook myself a big breakfast. I'd have a massive lunch. And then I'd have a really late dinner. Right? So I'd eat at 11 o'clock at night. 
right, and big. I go to bed and I'm so full that when I wake up in the morning, I'm not hungry. That's my fast day. I'm not hungry for breakfast. I'm not hungry for lunch. And by the time I get to dinner, I'm starting to get hungry. So that's my early night. So I go to bed at 8 o'clock. Right now, the next morning is obviously my eat day. I'm pretty hungry. So I get up super early and I'd repeat the process. Big lunch, big breakfast. Um, big breakfast, big lunch, big dinner. Rinse and repeat. Do it all again. I did it for 18 months. But I still wasn't seeing breakthrough. I wasn't seeing anybody healed. 18 months, I, I got through it. And a voice came to me and said, it's because you're, you're not reading the word enough. And I'm like, I remember, the, I remember the day of the voice. And I'm like, I'm already reading three chapters a day. And the voice said, you need to start reading six. You're so close to breakthrough. Read six and you're going to start to see breakthrough. So I started reading six chapters of the Bible a day. And the voice comes back and says, you're just missing one element. You're not praying enough. And I'm like, but I'm getting up at 5.30 every morning to pray. Just a little bit. So I started getting up at 3.45 every morning. Every morning, 3.45, and I'd go out to my study and I'd lay on the floor and I'd begin to pray. And I'd pray until my kids came and woke me up off the floor for breakfast. <laughs> like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm praying. And they're like, wow, are you snoring? <laughs> Laying on the kitchen floor, snoring away. And you've crossed between my kitchen and my office. See, I was working for love. I was working for validation. And I, see, it wasn't God that was telling me to do those things. It was the enemy. And the enemy loves us to get into works because he wants us, he wants us to think it's all about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. This is, I'm talking about a Jesus-centered gospel. <clears throat> I'm, not talking about, <clears throat> I'm not talking about a self-centered gospel. And I was so wrapped up within myself thinking it was about me and it was about what I can pay for and what I have to pay for and what I need to do and the works because the supernatural to me was a works-orientated program that maybe one day I'll be good enough through my works that I can be used by God. And then I went to, um, I went to church. I, I came out of a very successful business career I was an optical fiber cable um, consultant and general manager for, for glass cables, long-haul cables, you know, 500-mile cables that go one end of the country to the other, in high-speed data and stuff like that. I used to consult in that kind of area. And, you know, I had installers and I'd inspect their work and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I had a very successful um, business career. I had the choice of... I really didn't do a whole lot of work apart from take clients to golf and lunch and shows and didn't really do a whole lot, just drive around in my company car and look cool, you know, and collect my salary at the end of the day and have fun. And uh, so I, I, I come out of that into, into ministry where it's like I got a stink salary. I didn't have a company car. I mean, every, and, and I, I go to God one day and I'm like, God, I said, I am trying so hard to see breakthrough. I said, I gave up everything to come into ministry. 
I said, I gave up everything. I gave up my, my great salary. I gave up my company car. I gave up everything. And this is what I get? Like, no one gets healed? And I said to him, I can show you the place in my church where I had a big comp- complaint day with God. And I said, God, I said, I'm going to go and see my senior pastor because today is the day I quit. I feel really sorry for myself. I'm quitting. I'm going to go back and earn some real money. And, and at least I said, God, I don't, even, I don't even like people now. I said, I came into ministry loving them and now I don't even like them. I said, I'm going to quit. And this is what he said to me. He said, good. He said, I've been waiting eight years for you to quit. And I'm like, hey, what do do you mean? Don't you need me? I didn't want, it wasn't the answer. I wanted back from God, you know. I wanted a little pity party, you know. Like, you're going to be okay, son. Just keep going. He said, good, quit. And that was the turnaround of understanding my identity because he said to me this. He said to me in that moment, he said, when the sooner you become to realize that it's not about you, but it's about me and you and it's me through you, the sooner you'll start to see fruit. And from that day, everything began to change because I was on this journey of really beginning to understand, understand my identity. See, do we know who we are? I stood in this prison with 95 men in there the first year, all dressed in white. And I'm not allowed to wear white when I go into the prison because if there's a riot, they don't, want me, they don't want me to get mixed up with the prisoners. They don't know who's who. So you've got to wear a different color than, than white. And I'm in this prison of these men dressed in white, white tops, white T-shirts, white trousers, and, and they had different shoes, but they, you know, everything else is white. And I'm standing in front of a man that's, a um, triple murderer and a multi-time raper. You, you don't you don't make a habit of going around saying, "What are you in for? What are you in for?" You know, you don't talk about that when you're in jail. But I happen to know what he had done, and I'm standing in front of this man and I'm talking about righteousness. And the Lord says to me, "This right when I'm this close to him," and the Lord says, "What makes you think that your righteousness is any different to his?" He said, because in my eyes, you're all dressed in white. I'm talking about a Christian faith-based unit. These men know Jesus. And as I've gone into this journey of identity, things that just keep on, I'm getting pulled off and pulled off, and I understand more and more of my identity. I want to I share some things with you that, that some of, it, it, may be, it may be new to some of you. But the Christian... The Christian life is really about understanding our position. It's understanding, it's really about understanding who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. Like I just said, I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches, yet we're trying to become something that he already says that we are. It's not the vine doesn't produce fruit. A great vine doesn't produce fruit. The branches is what produces fruit. And we're already connected to the vine. But when we're not connected to the vine, it's impossible to do, it's impossible to do nothing. Because the goodness comes through the vine to the branch, which is, produces fruit. See, you don't see a grape branch. You don't see a branch on a tree trying to produce fruit. It just happens. 
It just happens when it's correctly connected to the vine and it knows, and it knows who it is. See, I've spoken about being unworthy and undeserving. And we are worthy because, because of the blood of Jesus. But yet today, we, in, in, the Christians, in the Christian church, and please hear me out on this, because this is going to be some of this, some of this is probably going to be new, or at least if it's not new, it's going to upset some of you. Is that we walk around and we say, "Well, brother, I, I'm just a sinner saved by grace." I did. I, you're wrong. We are not a sinner saved by grace. See, when we don't understand our identity. We say that we're a sinner saved by grace, but yet the term sinner appears 14 times in the epistles and not once does it reference the state of the saint. And we walk around in what I thinking it's humility, but it's false humility saying, well, brother, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just on a journey of like trying to die. You know, my, just trying to crucify my sinful nature. You know, one day, one day I'll arrive, I'm just a lowly sinner saved by grace. See, if you think that you're a sinner saved by grace, you've already had your identity stolen from you. We are not sinners saved by grace. We were a sinner and now we're a saint. That we're actually become the very righteousness of Christ Jesus. You know, the term sinners saved by grace is not even, it's not even biblical. Show me where it is. And if you're going to reference the, the, um, the passage in James where it kind of references it, it, then it goes on to say, and those people are double-minded in all their ways. See, we need to break off this mentality that we're a sinner saved by grace because what we're doing is we're mixing our old identity with our new identity and we're wondering why we're not seeing fruit. Because we don't know who we are, we've got like a um, schizophrenic personality of you know part of our old nature and part of our new nature is that you don't have a sinful nature. <clears throat> One of the... One of the most common questions that people come and ask me is like, why, why is it that I'm not seeing miracles? You are, but why don't I? And I'm like, well, that's a very simple answer to that question. Galatians 2 verse 20. The problem is, is the I in there. Because Galatians 2 verse 20, it says, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. What would happen if we actually began to get a revelation that the I in you it was actually co-crucified with Christ? See, Jesus didn't die just for you. He died as you. It's no longer I that lives. I don't think Jesus came to save us. I think he came to kill us. He's the ultimate body snatcher. He just like ripped us out. <laughs> the I in you has been co-crucified with Christ, but here's the good news. 
is that you were co-crucified with Christ, but you're also co-resurrected with Christ because he didn't die just for you. He died as you, that when you were co-resurrected, the I in you is gone and we are now at union with Christ, that it is now we. That it is Christ in you and it is you in Christ that we are one with him. But if we don't understand that union that we have with Christ, how are you expecting to see fruit? Because you think it's about the I in you. We begin to think it's about how hard we work, it's the works we do, how much we've fasted, how much we pray, how much we do this, how much we do that. When I've done all those things, then I may be worthy to be used. You are already worthy to be used. I just thank God he's not looking for perfection. I am far from perfect. That's why my wife's not here, because she'll tell you the truth. (laughs) She'll tell you that I'm not perfect. I am so far from perfect. But I know that I'm worthy. And I certainly know that I'm undeserving. And that's what makes me a candidate for God's grace to flow through. Because I know I'm worthy and I know I'm undeserving. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for someone that will put Jesus back in the center of the church. He's looking for someone that will put Jesus back in the center of their lives and begin to operate from that place that it's no longer I. Because healing is only going to be difficult when you think it's about the I in you. Got something to tell you. There is no I in you. You and God became we. We became in union with God that you become his hands and his feet. This is God didn't take up God didn't take up a dwelling place in you because he was homeless. He took up a dwelling place in you because he was homesick. This is actually where he lives, that you are now one with God. And the sooner that we begin to understand our identity, the sooner the fruit will begin to flow from our lives. See, if we walk around saying, well, brother, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner. You've mixed up your identity. But if you think you're a sinner saved by grace, you're not just mixed up your your identity. You still think that you have a sinful nature. And if you still have a th- sinful nature, i got something to tell you that is probably going to shock you, is that you're going to sin by faith. Because that's what sinners do. They sin. See, there's a verse that I love in the Bible. I think it's 1 John 3, 9, and it says, A Christian cannot sin. Some of you didn't even know that was there, right? You're like, oh, why did I sin this morning then? Am I not a Christian? It says, it says it, 1 John 3, I'm pretty sure it's 1 John 3, 9. A sinner cannot sin. See, we can only sin outside of our identity. The Bible says, as he is, so are you to the world. So what is our identity? Our identity is as he is. What's he? He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's perfect. He's sinless. He's triumphant. 
So the more I learn my identity of who I am in him, the more I become to this world as he is. But yet the church has been teaching the opposite message. Well, brother, you're just a sinner saved by faith. You're just really a worm. And we wonder why the world doesn't want to know Jesus because they don't want to become a worm. And the soon, so the sooner we learn our identity, the sooner the fruit begins to flow. But if we think that we're a sinner saved by grace, and this is what we sometimes do. It's like we get up in the morning and it's like, well, I think I'm a new creation. It's like, oh, hold on. I forgot something. I'll just go and put on the old man. And we come over here and we dig up the old man and we put the old man on. And we carry the old man around. It's like, see, that alone is sin. Christians don't talk to the dead. It's called necromancing. That's a sin. We've got to stop talking to the old man and get a reality on what Jesus says who we are and start living from that place of who he says that we are. And fruit will just happen. It's the transformed mind that reveals the glory of God. But someone that's walking around saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace is not a transformed person because they've mixed their old identity with their new. Are you guys with me? You say, what's this got to do with healing? Everything. It's absolutely everything. Because I can teach you how to walk in power in as easy as five minutes. And you'll walk out of this church and you'll begin to pray for people and you'll start to see some people healed. I'm not interested in seeing some people healed. I'm interested in seeing all healed. I don't want to teach you the principles. I want to teach you about the prince and who we are, who we are in Christ. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that you're a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. In the Passion, it says, now that you've been, in, I love this, now that you've been enfolded into Christ. Wow, that's powerful. Now that you've been enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. That is related to the old order has vanished and everything is fresh and new. See, when we study that passage that the old, the old has passed away, behold, new things have come. In the original language, new means never created prototype. You are a brand new, never created prototype. See, that's who we become. But yet, why do we spend so much time trying to sort out things of our old life? I think sometimes we're spending more time trying to sort out things of our old life because we haven't actually been taught who we are. I don't really care about my old life. That, that guy, you're thankful you didn't know the old Chris Gore. <laughs> Trust me, he's dead and buried. He is gone. He's decayed and I don't go back and talk to him. See, Jesus is not a window showing us who we can become. He's a mirror showing you who you already are. Brand new creation. See, it says in Mark 11, there's the, the wonderful story there of when Jesus curses the fig tree. You know the story? And I've heard it said that Jesus was cursing the fig tree 
because he was cursing the house of Israel. Now, Jesus wasn't cursing the house of Israel. So why then was he cursing the fig tree? And some say, well, the fig wasn't bearing fruit. And you know, there's, there's one side of it. i got another side of it. Is that the fig leaf is the image of self-righteousness. I believe that Jesus was actually cursing self-righteousness. He was actually cursing the works at the very root of the thing. See, there's another place that the fig leaf is mentioned in Scripture. It's found in Genesis. If you're wondering if I'm going to turn to my Bible, I have been sharing out of my Bible the whole time. But, but we will turn there. In Genesis chapter, chapter 3. There's another, there's another reference in Scripture where Jesus uh, when, uh, involves a fig leaf. And it says this. As we know, Adam and Eve are in the garden. And we know that Adam and Eve, they, they, ste- they steal a, a fruit off the forbidden tree. And they, they eat the fruit. And it says that uh, the eyes of them, uh, then the eyes of them both became opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made for themselves coverings. I encourage you to go and do your own word study on that word coverings. See, what that word actually means is a partial covering. It means that it's a fig leaf that's a partial covering to cover the bare essentials. That means that Eve is walking around with a bikini on and Adam's got a Speedo on, (laughs) made of fig leaves. And they're walking around and God comes in the garden and God says to them, Adam and Eve, where are you? And the Bible tells us that they were hiding because they knew that they were naked. See, that's what a sin consciousness causes you to do. It causes you to hide from God, but a righteousness consciousness causes you to run to God. I tell you, when I mess up, I don't run from God because I've just worked out. He knows exactly where I am. There's no point trying to hide. It's like no matter how well you can hide or no matter how well you think you can cover yourself in self-righteousness, like I got my bikini on. It's like, and I can see you. And God comes in the garden, so, so stop hiding from God. He, he doesn't want you to hide from him because a righteousness consciousness will cause me to run to God when I mess up. A sin consciousness will cause you to run from God when you mess up. No wonder the world doesn't want to know Jesus because we preach sin consciousness in most churches. And then it says this in verse 21, And for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin, and he clothed them. I love this passage. Because it proves to me that God's not a vegetarian. (laughs) And I am not. (laughs) I am definitely not a vegetarian. My favorite meat is lamb, and I just love them. The younger they are, the better. Take them off their mama, kill them, and put them on my plate. I live, in a, I live in a nation where 5% of our population is human. And the rest is sheep. That's a true statistic. 5% of our population is human. See, God's not, God's not a vegetarian. He kills a lamb. Now, I've killed a few in my life because I, I used to raise them as pets and then eat them. I used to eat my pets. 
just to eat my rabbits and <laughs> eat, my, eat my sheep. And I even grew cows as a little part-time venture and put them on my plate. And see, God comes in the garden and it says here, he takes a tunic of skin and he clothed them. I want you to think about this. I, I'm, I'm trying to make a point before you get all upset if you're like work for Peter or something, you know. I don't. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will let you know that I, God put animals on the earth to eat, just not my dog and cat. I do look after them. <laughs> so, so God comes in the garden and see, I've killed sheep. I've killed sheep. I've killed pigs. I've killed cows. I've rabbits, chickens, you name it. I've killed it. Birds, you know, like killed them all. I grew up in a very small town. What's, what's the population here? 80,000? 50,000? My population is 16,000, right? So it's just, it was like a farming community. You want to eat, you go kill. So I grew up, that's, how, that's just how, how we lived. So, so when you kill a sheep, you don't shoot a sheep, you just slit its throat. Real quick. It's painless. Sheep's gone in a second. It bleeds out. And you just cut them right down, right down the center, and you can you can just pull the tunic off them. You just pull it inside out, and you just yank it off, and the whole tunic comes off, and you just got this blob of meat left, which is what we barbecue. Yum. <laughs> and you're left with the sheep's skin. That's the tunic. So God takes the lamb, is perceived is believed to be a lamb. He kills the lamb. He takes the tunic off the lamb. And he goes up to Adam and Eve and it says, and he clothed them. Now do a word study on the word clothed and it means a full and complete covering. So he takes the tunic of lamb and he comes up to Adam and Eve and he places the tunic of lamb over them. Well, I know from experience that killing a lamb is a bloody mess. There is blood shooting and squirting everywhere. And there's blood on the inside of the tunic. That when he placed the tunic over Adam and Eve, they were covered in the blood of the lamb. See, we don't have... We are no longer covered in self-righteousness or fig leaves. We're covered in the tunic of the blood of the Lamb. We're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us the very righteousness of Christ. There's false humility to walk around and say, I'm not worthy to be used. You are worthy because of the blood of the Lamb that covers you, that you became the very righteousness of Christ Jesus. Are you guys with me? Let me put it into you into an, another analogy. A fig leaf, the three-piece suit. One, two, three. <laughs> and one piece suit for the men. Let me put it to you this way is that before we get saved, we come to Jesus. And we, we come to Jesus and, and we've got our bikinis on or our speedos of self-righteousness. And it's like, oh, I'm so unworthy. And he takes us and, and he rips off our bikini, 
He rips off our speedo and says, you'll never wear that again. Thank God. <laughs> and, he, and he covers us in the blood of the lamb. But when we come to Jesus, we come as an old creation. Let, now, let me put it to you in this analogy. We come on a broken bike. So we come to Jesus on our broken bike. The wheels are flat. The spokes are bent. The handlebars are twisted. The saddle's fallen off and you just got the spike up your bottom. And the paint's fallen off and it's a pretty uncomfortable kind of a ride. And it's cold because we've got our bikinis on. It's a cold Oklahoma winter morning. I couldn't believe it. 28 yesterday morning. It's like, oh my Lord, I'm ready to go back to California. (laughs) My body's so messed up. I was in summer two weeks ago in New Zealand, crossed the international date line twice in the last three weeks. I don't know where I am. (laughs) I've had all sorts. I've gone from snow to hot and back. And the day we left, I think it was like 70 degrees or something the day I left California. It's going to be 70 here on Monday. No, 75 I think I saw next week sometime. So we come, to, we come to the Lord in our bikinis, our broken bike. And it's like, oh, I want to get saved. And Jesus is like, oh, look at you. You must be cold. He said, I'm going to cover you in the blood of the lamb. Bikinis off, tunica skins on. We're now, we're now worthy. We've been bought, blood bought by the blood of Jesus. And he says, Oh, look at that bike. He says, it's a bit of a sad creation. What can we do with that? This is what the church thinks. That God takes our bike and he's like, it looks like a sad excuse for a bike. Got to fix it up. And he takes our bike and he paints it and he puts some new spokes on and he straightens them up and he, most importantly, he puts a new seat on it. Straightens the handlebars, puts a new flag on the back, makes it, you know, little ribbons and like it makes it look really nice. And he goes, off you go. Go and enjoy your new life covered in the blood of the Lamb. See, there's a lot of Christians that are riding around in life on a fixed up old bike. And they may understand righteousness to some degree. And they may know that they not they don't have the bikini on, that they know that they're covered in the blood of the lamb, but they're still riding around on their old bike, which is the sinner saved by grace. But that's not what this verse says in Second Corinthians: that you're a brand new creation, a never created prototype before. See, you come to God. On your broken bike in your bikini, you leave covered in the blood of the lamb in a Ferrari. Well, it's better than a Ferrari because a Ferrari's been created. You are a never created prototype, a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And until we begin to understand the power of what happened at the cross, of who God made you to be. 
until you understand that, until we really begin to understand that we're that brand new creation in Christ, that the old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. Most things that we try and do and see the supernatural flow through our life as works. See, I, I want to see, I, I just, I burn to see a body that rise up and walk in power. I, it's just that we're living in a great day. Just in the last, in the last several years, we, and say I, we, have seen 47 autistic kids healed. Either significant or full breakthrough. See, what would it look like if the church got rid of the pauper's mentality of I'm just a sinner saved by grace and they started living out of their identity that I am the branch that's connected to the vine and I will produce fruit because I'm planted in good soil. And we begin to live out of that place of our identity that fruit begins to happen. I believe that sickness would have no place standing in our city. The world would be running to church. You know how fast they run to a new drag when there's hope on it. I'm involved in a drug company. I'm not going to tell you what drug company it is. But I'm involved in a drug company that's created a solution for one of the most incurable diseases in the world just been given FDA approval to, to go to trial. This, if this drug works, the company's going to explode. They've already proven it's worked outside of FDA, and now they've got to prove it works inside of FDA. You know, when a drug, you know, when there's hope on something, it's like everyone will just run to it. What would it look like if the church is just full of hope? that the church was actually full of power, that we actually had some answers, that we actually started to minister to people and they actually started getting healed. The world would be running. Cities would be transformed. See, I just got this heart to confront the powerless church. Some, some want to argue with me, well, the day of, the day of power is over. It's like, no, no, it's not. Because I never worshipped the day of, the day of miracles is over. I never worshipped the day of miracles. I worshipped the God of miracles. And we need, to, we need to stop creating excuses for our powerlessness. Because all as we're doing is we're pulling the word of God down to our experience. And it's time as a church that we begin to lift our experience to the word of God and we start living out of this, of what he says that we can do and who he says that you are. Amen? See, you are a brand new creation. I'll close with this. Is that we have God's DNA. Because of the people I circle with, I... I, I've got a lot of doctor friends. So I'm always asking my doctor friends questions. I've discovered something, so I, and I, I say this for a reason, so don't come to me and tell me I'm wrong. Because I've asked many doctors this question, and some say, 
you're right, and some say you're wrong, and some say you don't know. That's why they're called practitioners. They're still practicing. So I did a whole lot of study on how a woman gets pregnant. I'm not talking about the physical act. I handled that one all right. I got three daughters. So I was doing a whole bunch of study on the genetics of a baby. And this is what doctors can't answer me. I get a different answer out of whoever I ask. I need to find a geneticist. That's who I'd probably need to talk to. I don't have a friend that's a geneticist. I said, where does the... The study was, where does the blood come from in a baby? Now, I can tell you this. When a, mama, when a ma- mother is pregnant, there's no transference of blood. The blood's, mother's blood and baby's blood doesn't mix. If it does, there's a problem. And they need an injection when they're born to reverse. It's called um, rhesus. The only thing that mother gives the baby is oxygen and nutrition. It's an exchange. So my question is, where does the genetics come from that make the blood? Now, this is what science is now telling us, that the genetics for the blood comes from the father. That's what doctors can't tell me. Some say both, some say the mother, some say the father, some say, that's a good question, I don't know. The genetics, this is what science, this is what I've discovered, is that the genetics for the blood comes from the father. Think about it. Mary's a virgin. See, the word born again, the very word born again, means to be taken out of the bloodline of Adam and Eve and placed in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Had someone come to me wanting to cleanse my bloodline ministry. Come take a session with us. We're going to cleanse your bloodline. I'm like, no, it's okay. It's already clean. Because my identity is in Christ. I've been transferred out of the bloodline of Adam and Eve, and I'm placed in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. That is my And his bloodline is holiness, perfection, sinless, triumphant. I didn't say I've completely arrived. It's the transformed mind that reveals the glory of God. I'm on a journey of understanding my identity. Are you guys with me? See, I'm just bent on the church learning their identity because I'm quite convinced we wouldn't need to deal with so many things of the past if we dealt with the root cause and the root causes, understanding your identity in Christ Jesus. Let's stand. I want to do a couple of foundational sessions. The next one's going to be foundational as well. And you say, well, I came for a healing conference. It's like... Yeah, it's because I want to teach you to walk in continual power. I don't want you just to see a miracle tonight when you pray for someone and then not see one when you leave. I want to see a generation that rise up knowing who they are, not just who they are, but whose they are. 
that when they can walk out of this place that they know that they are the righteousness of Christ Jesus, they have been blood bought and they can begin to walk in a life of power just as Christ destined you to walk. Why don't you put your hand on someone next to you and we'll pray. Just, why don't you just pray? Just pray something scary over them. Just, just pray. Just pray that their mind would be transformed and they'd come into a greater revelation of their identity of who Jesus says they are. Just pray, pray something really scary. Just pray a scary prayer. Get them. Say, Jesus, get them. (laughs) Open their eyes. Just say, Jesus, open their eyes so they see the reality of who you called them, of who you made them to be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. All right. Amen. You can take your seats. When, um, when, when you registered for the conference, for the school, I should say, you had an opportunity to buy the, um, is included in the, and I know many of you got it, is you had the opportunity to buy the practical guide to walking in healing power, right? He's got that. And most of you got that. If um, that was included in your registration fee, these retail for $25, right? What we did is we included them in your registration fee, which you paid if you order, including the registration fee, it was $25. Is that right? Yeah, but you pay the registration fee, it was $25 all up. Yeah, which included this. Right, so what we're going to do is if you did not get this and you still want to get this, you can buy this. this there will be a different price tonight. Right, tonight it will probably go back to more of a retail price. But if you wanted to pick this up, you can pick it up at that wholesale price of $15 now. Okay, so just go out and see Benji at the table. So that is there. Now, if you have this, which I know most of you have, it's a wonderful workbook that you can work through, and it's quite challenging, and it will ask you questions, and you have got to, you, know, you can fill it in, write in the book, and stuff like that. The whole thing is to bring freedom into the way that we think. Right? To me, supernatural is not works. It's, it's really understanding our freedom. Um, but there's a book out there that goes with it called Walking in Supernatural Healing Power. I really encourage you to get the book. It's really addressing the heart of healing, right? It's not so much full of principles. It's not about put your hand out, say this, like, I'm just not really interested in that stuff. It's the transformed mind. It's the renewing of our mind and heart that reveals the glory of God. So when we begin to read that, we capture the heart of healing fruit. You'll find that fruit. Um, I've had people write me that said, lady, tumors fell off just, re- just reading the book. Because her life was built on lies, she starts reading truth. How many know the, the word doesn't say the truth sets you free? It says the knowledge of the truth sets you free. And sometimes when we receive knowledge of the truth, we get set free. So that book is out there. My latest book, which just came out a couple of months ago, is not available on any um, outlets like Amazon or anything like that. It's called Overflow. I want to teach. I just want to just touch on this for a second because this is really a real special book to me. My wife and I wrote it, and twelve of my sons. 
and prison. And it's really about, I, I want to see people set free. I want to see people healed. But to do that, we need full Christians. We need Christians that know how to operate and flow in the abundance of heaven. I don't believe that we should go from touch to touch. We come to church and we get touched. And it's like, oh, yeah, and we go away and we dry out again until we get another touch. I think that we should stay full. We should stay full and overflowing. And what I've discovered in my journeys is that most Christians don't know how to stay full and overflowing. And I was with 12 of the, my sons in the, in the jail. And without thinking about it, I opened my mouth and said, how would you guys like to finish my book? I'm 12 chapters short. I wrote real short chapters so guys would actually read it. It's actually written more like a devotional. I just don't like that word, devotional. It's an old-fashioned word to me. I just don't like it. So 12 of them wrote chapters on here of how they stay full despite their circumstances. And these guys, some of them are serving 200-year sentences, 300, 400, 505 was the longest. He just got miraculously released. That's another whole story. And... I know that there's victims to every crime, and that's why I have not put their names in there, their first names in there, not their last name, and the name of the prison is not in here, which I told you. But um, I love these boys. I mean, some of them are older than me. I love these men. And they, they're just everything to me, and I just wanted to give them a voice because I don't know that I've ever met men that know how to stay so full of God. One of them is so full of Jesus. He's so full of Jesus. He said to me, I've been inside for 47 years. He said, the first 17 years, I was in solitary confinement for 17 years straight, looking at my wall, sitting on the edge of my bed for 17 years, and for one hour a day, I was let out, shackled hands and feet to go in the yard and then back for the next 23 hours, looking at my wall for 17 years. I, can't, I couldn't sit on my bed and look at the wall for 17 minutes, alone 17 years. And he's so full of God. He says, Chris, he said, I don't ever want to get out of here. He said, this is my mission field. He said, I am winning guards to Jesus. I'm winning prisoners to Jesus. I go on treasure hunts in the prison and I just find people that are sick and get them healed. He said, I'm happy to stay here the rest of my life. I am so full of Jesus that I just treat this as my mission field, that this is where he sent me, and I don't want to leave. So that is, that is, uh, that is back there. It's just uh, came out in October. There's our ministry team manual back there. This is how I have uh, 919 people on my healing rooms team alone. Right? That's not the front line of church. That I, We have nine services on a weekend, so that's not counting them, but I have 919 on our... Um, healing rooms ministry team this is how we practically train every single one of them right we do two trainings a year so that is there i have audio messages out there we'll talk about those um after i do not carry cds right they're old technology i hate them they scratch they break they wear out i just travel these these cards you buy the card you go to the back on the website you key in the code and or just download the message automatically straight into your smartphone your dumb phone your computer your ipad whatever it was just it was just dump it in there and you got permission to burn them and copy them you share them around but there's one there just let me highlight one to you this session is uh the bethel healing school it's a full healing school it's a whole week healing school it's once a year it's from may if you go back out there they'll give you a pamphlet on it as well 
It has uh, this particular one has uh, sixteen messages and eight speakers on it. So this is last May's one. It's got every department head in Bethel that walks in power, from the nursery worker to the kids pastor to some messages that I do to the outreach pastor. To that's that's all on there. So it's sixteen messages. You're going to get a whole week of messages there to to feast on. All right, all right. Three forty, two forty. 2.40. Let's take a break and we're going to kick off again at uh, 2.40. Bless you guys.